If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Isaiah 61 tonight. Isaiah 61. I need to ask you to forgive me. Um, I do believe with every ounce of my being that I will have the measure I need tonight. Uh, but I need to tell you that my travel schedule has been so crazy and my work schedule has been so crazy and I've been preaching so much every week and having to do new sermons all the time and, and I'm weary. And so you can pray for me tonight. I, I did not get the time and the energy in this message like I would have liked to have had, but I'm so grateful that the Lord is not dependent upon me that I'm anointed, that I'm called, that he will give me what I need tonight in Jesus' name. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I want to speak to you tonight about the spirit of heaviness. Leslie, if you want to hand out those uh, handouts. Again, Rush putting this together. Typos, I'm sure, uh, could be nicer, but just you'll get the, the idea from this handout. I want to talk to you about the spirit of heaviness. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to think that I'm looking for a demon under every bush. Please understand that my goal in doing all of this, the Bible says that we should not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. If the Bible is commanding me not to be unaware, that tells me that we have a tendency to be unaware. Are you following me? That, that we should not be ignorant of his schemes. Uh, that, that he is a, he's sly, he's a, a, a conniver, he's a deceiver, he's a manipulator, he's a liar, and his, his schemes are sneaky. I've told you a million times the scripture in the book of Job where, where uh, God is in the throne room and, and Satan is there. And I always wonder what he's doing there. But, but God says to him, Satan, what are you doing? And Satan says, it's my loose translation, but he says, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm scanning the, the world looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Can I tell you that you have an enemy and his whole purpose, the Bible says, the only thing he comes for is to steal to kill and destroy. He is after your witness. He's after your testimony. He's after your joy. He's after your peace. He's after your well-being. If he can't keep you out of hell, if he can't keep you out of heaven, he's going to make you live like hell here. It's his goal, and we cannot be unaware. I am doing this series on the spirits because, remember, we studied uh, an unclean spirit, and we found out that the word demon me means that anything that is an idol to us, anything that we bow down to. Now, we can bow down to money. We can bow down to prestige. We can bow down to the opinions of others, but we can also bow down and give all of our energy to depression, to despair, to hopelessness, to, to sadness, to self-pity, to victimization. We can worship at that idol. Do you understand that? 
you say, well, Ria, I would never do that. But see, when all of your effort, when everything about you is, look what happened to me 20 years ago and how it's still affecting me, that has become an idol in your life. You say, well, Ria, you don't know how bad my past was. No, you don't know how good my God is. And he is able to deliver you. He is able to deliver you. I am not minimizing what you've been through. I am not minimizing the stuff that's happened to you. I am maximizing your hope in the one who is able. He is able to deliver. But an idol, the, the, the scripture says, or the word for demon in the scripture, in the original language, means that every idol we bow down to, there is a demon operating behind it. In other words, that demon, the scheme of the devil, is trying to divert you from attention to God and his good and his best for your life and get you to focus on something that's inferior. Anything that you bow down to other than the Lord is inferior. Do, do you understand that? And, and so I, I don't want you to think as I go through this spirit of heaviness that I'm looking for a demon under every bush. Anybody that knows me will tell you that that is not what I'm made of. However, I don't want you to be unaware. I do recognize that we all go through difficult seasons. Every one of us has pain and heartache. Stuff happens in life. We are not exempt because we're believers from the garbage and the pain of this world. But it can bear down on us and it can bring heaviness. And we cannot be unaware. It's so interesting to me as I've been studying this passage, I've wanted to teach on this subject for the past three weeks. But every time I sit down to study it, I am overwhelmed by heaviness. I, I'm I, I, I'm overwhelmed by, by uh, a sense of sadness. I, I'm overcome by mounting disappointments that just suddenly just come upon me. Or I, I, I'm burdened by an irrational sense of despair. And because I am, I forfeit that message and do another one. This week, as I picked up my notes again to study, immediately I became burdened. I had a heaviness in my spirit. I was bombarded by sadness. I, I became very sleepy and feeling hopeless. And, and I was like, I am not unaware. I got Dave. I, I knelt down beside his, his desk. He prayed over me. I called Leslie. I said, Leslie, I need you to get the team praying for me. I need you to pray for me. She prayed for me. And I, I said, Lord, what I'm studying is that, that you want to give me a spirit, a garment of praise in exchange for a spirit of heaviness. I am feeling a spirit of heaviness right now, and I am asking you to give me a garment of praise, and I flipped on some praise music, and I forced myself. It was forcing myself because I, I was really feeling this heaviness, and I began to, in my office, out of tune, I, I cannot sing a note on tune, as out of tune as I sing, and that Dave could hear me in his office upstairs, I am belting out praise and worship music, because I needed that heaviness to disappear. I was not going to put this message on hold one more week, and as sure as I stand here, it disappeared and I began to study and so I turned off my praise and worship music after lunch and and I just began to study even more and before I knew it that heaviness was back in my life again I'm telling you that God's word works 
in this passage, Isaiah declared that God wants to give us a garment of praise to deal with the spirit of heaviness in our life. It works. Isaiah 61, I, I read the first three verses to you because I want you to see that it's a prophecy that refers to Jesus Christ and the way he deals with his people. The, what he wants to do in his people's lives. It speaks of deliverance by the strong arm of, of the Lord. Do you know that he is your deliverer? I, I, I don't want you to sit here tonight and think you can actually deliver yourself from these things. Only God can do that. You need a force bigger than you. You need someone stronger than you, and his name is Jesus. Verses 1 through 3 says, he came to preach good tidings to the poor. That's so fascinating to me. That word poor, John Oswald has, the, I think, the best definition of this whole passage. If you look at this passage, and, and I'm sorry, Lynn, is there any way we can get this passage up on the screen? Uh, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 in the New King James. If you look at this passage, if you have your Bibles open now, Isaiah 1, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. I, I haven't, I've preached on this a million times, but until today, I hadn't seen that the spirit of heaviness and the reason God is preaching good news is because all of those things that lie in the verses between them are what contribute to a spirit of heaviness. That's why I, I did this diagram for you. I, I wanted you to see that a spirit of heaviness, I believe, uh, loads us down. The enemy comes because we're not unaware of his schemes. This is a spirit. It's not a holy one, but it's a spirit of heaviness. And the enemy comes and he loads us down with stuff to rob us of peace, to rob us of joy, to, to, to rob us of life abundant. Do you see it? My grandson, Mason. Goodness, do I love those children. But my grandson, Mason, I got him this Play-Doh set, uh, December, maybe in December. And, and I was going to visit him, and I took it with him with me, and he loves waffles. And, and it was a waffle maker, and, and it made eggs and bacon. And, and, and you roll up this Play-Doh ball, and you put in this little waffle maker, little teeny tiny waffle maker, and you put the ball of Play-Doh in it, and you squeeze it, and it makes a waffle. Well, Macy just loved to play this game with, with GB. We would put the ball of... of um, Play-Doh in it, and he wasn't strong enough. And so I would say, squeeze! And so he would squeeze it, and the Play-Doh would just burst out the edges of the waffle maker, and of course there would be nothing left inside to make the waffle. So now he calls GB on the phone, and he'll say, squeeze! Because he loves that we did that game together. But when I was working on this message, all I could think about was Macy. And then squeeze! And how there was nothing left in the Play-Doh because it had squeezed everything out because of the pressure that was applied to it. Do you know that the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy puts things on your life, pressures, weights, burdens on your life, and his purpose is to squeeze the life right out of you, to squeeze the joy out of you, to squeeze the praise out of you, to squeeze the well-being 
out of you. These are the things that we see in this passage. Connect it with the spirit of heaviness. The, the, the Lord says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. We're going to identify the poor in a minute. He has set me to heal the brokenhearted. That word, brokenhearted, and it's one of the circles in your, your, your diagram. The word brokenhearted there means to break in pieces, to wreck, to crush, to quench, to be crippled, to be broken, to because there's some people sitting here tonight who are broken. The enemy has come to crush your life, to cripple you with pain and with heartache and with abuse. And you have said, okay, I'll take it. Instead of saying, wait a second, let me tell you who I am. That you can bring that thing, but it's not going to succeed in my life. It's not going to work in my life because he came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to, that word heal, it means to bandage. It, it means to mend one stitch at a time. Can I tell you about the one, no matter what's tried to crush you, no matter what's tried to cripple you in your life, that my Jesus came to heal you by, your, by his stripes, you are healed. It's finished. It's done. It's accomplished. You just have to receive it in your life. When John gave his testimony tonight, I loved that he said he just opened his hands. That is a position I always tell people to get in. Don't you be praying. Don't you be doing anything. You just get in a position to receive from Jesus. He wants to pour it out in your life. He came to heal the brokenhearted to mend you one stitch at a time, to put some bandages over that, that wound in your heart that the enemy sent to maim you, to cripple you, to wreck you, to crush you, to break you into pieces. Brokenhearted. You know that word heart is your mind, your will, your emotions. Some of you are sitting here and your emotions are, are desperately crippled. They, they, they are broken because of what you live through. Can I tell you, Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to heal you and set you free. He came, the next scripture is to, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. A captive, you see, a prisoner is, is somebody that did something to deserve to go to prison. A captive is somebody who was taken against his will. And some of you are here tonight and, and you are captive to something, maybe a behavior, maybe an addiction, maybe a, a, a sin that you hate. And it's because the enemy came and he took you captive. He led you away into captivity. Can I tell you that he who the sun sets free is free indeed and he wants to set you free. He came to, to set you free and to proclaim liberty over your life, freedom over your life. He came to open the prison doors to those who are bound. That word bound means to tie, to bind, to imprison, to take prisoner. Some of you have been taken prisoner by an addiction that you agreed to and now you find yourself not even able to break loose from because now it's out of your control. You have been taken prisoner by the enemy of your soul. You took the bait and now you're in the trap. But Jesus came to open the prison doors for you to walk free. Can I tell you, I see this all the time, where, where, where he has opened those prison doors on the cross of Calvary. It was finished. Those doors swung wide open, but you can still sit in that cell. You can still remain a prisoner when the doors are wide open. You have to get up and walk out. 
you have to get up and walk out. He came to give beauty for ashes. Ashes, it's a, it's a picture of, uh, of someone whose life has just been decimated, someone whose life has just been consumed with pain, who feel ashes, uh, they're nothing. You just, they disappear in your hands, do they not? Some of you are sitting here tonight and you think you have a life that's worthless, that, that, that nothing is good that can come out of it anymore. Can I tell you, he wants to give you beauty from that place. Some of you, you don't have ashes, you have cinders. And ashes, you see, ashes is something that God's consuming fire has absolutely uh, consumed. There's nothing left. But cinders, we love to go camping. Cinders, you can start a fire from again. If there's cinders in our fire pit, I can go and ignite them again. You can rebuild from cinders. And some of you have a life that's been so decimated. So, so the fire has just burned through it and the destruction has just burned through it. But you got some cinders and you keep trying to rebuild, trying to rebuild, trying to rebuild. And I, I just want to tell you, let his consuming fire just burn through that thing and make it into ashes so that he can give you some beauty from that thing. He wants to give you beauty for ashes. Lynn, can we do the next verse? Uh, to proclaim an acceptable year of the, the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance in our God. To comfort all who mourn. That mourning is not just a, a, a mourning of someone maybe losing someone that you love. It's definitely that word applies there. But it also means calamity. Those who mourn over calamity. And it's so interesting to me. I looked up that word calamity and I was shaken. I, I did not realize uh, what it really means. I, I want to find the right definition here for you. Um, it, it means an event causing great and often sudden damage or distress. An event causing great and sudden damage or distress. The enemy likes to move in in a place of mourning or sadness and capitalize on it. To comfort all who mourn. Next verse, Lynn. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The enemy likes calamity. He likes distress and sudden pain. He, he likes when you're in a place of mourning, of despair, of hopelessness, of lament. He just likes to keep you there, where you just rehash everything that happened to you, all the places you were done dirty, everything that was done wrong to you 30 years ago, reaches back 30 years ago, but yet you're still crippled by it, and he wants you to lament over it. He wants you to rehash it and rehearse it in your head and keep you stuck there because he understands that as long as you can, he can bring that spirit of heaviness right in and overwhelm you. I want to read to you what the definition of poor is. Go back, Lynn, to um, the first verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. That word poor, John Oswald, he summarizes everything I just read to you, and I thought it was exceptional. The poor are those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are seen as a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord or see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused them. 
Those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and the fainting heaviness of despair. These are they to whom the servant Messiah shouts, good news. And can I tell you, his good news, they're not just words. They are a promise, a promise that he can accomplish what he says, that broken hearts will be mended, that, that freedom and liberty to the captive and the imprisoned will be offered. Only a king greater than the one who took somebody captive is able to set them free. And can I tell you, he is able. He is able. It's interesting to me that, that when he says the broken heart will be mended, that word mended, I told you, means bandage. But if you want to flip over to Isaiah 1, verse 6, the same word is used there, and I want to point this out to you. I would be remiss if I didn't. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6. Same book, just beginning of the chapter, Isaiah 1, verse 6. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and petrifying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. He uses that word for bandage to speak of an unbandaged, oozing wound that are the result, that's the result of sin. Do you know what, what he's saying here is so much of our own pain and heartache, hear me church, so much of our own pain and heartache comes from the result of our very own sin against God. You might say, no, Rhea, my pain is because someone sinned against me. Yes, maybe so, but did you sin against God by refusing to forgive them, by refusing to show them mercy and grace? I preached on that at Good Friday at Grace Church that, that we don't see our refusal to forgive as a sin, a sin against God. And hear me say, I am not trying to minimize what happened to you. Some of you have a past like mine that is full of abuse, full of pain, full of heartache. I am not minimizing it. I am here to tell you that that thing does not have to hold you any longer, that we are without excuse. No matter what has happened to us, we need to determine in our minds that we will obey God's word at all costs. Do you understand that his word is truth? My, my favorite scripture is his pleasant path leads to pleasant places. His word works. If he tells me to do something, I promise you with every ounce of my being, it's for your best. It's for your best. That, that he tells you to do that. So if he tells you to forgive, it's not about what you're going to do for that other person. It's about what it does for you when you choose to forgive. And so God's ways work. And so somebody, you might have broke your heart. Somebody might have done you dirty. Somebody might have taken you captive. But my question to you is, is your bandage, is your broken heart oozing and full of infection because you now are refusing to obey God's word. So much of our pain comes from the result of our own sin. This book is a remedy for sin and its consequences. My daughter, my granddaughter Frankie was visiting this week and, and she just was the sweetest little thing, but she had fever the entire time she was with us. And they went home yesterday and they took her to the doctor this morning and she has a double ear infection. And what, what, what I was thinking, my, my son doesn't like 
to give his children antibiotics. And, and he does this, where he'll give them a little antibiotic till it goes away, and then he'll stop treating it. And I said, Tyler David, you must finish that antibiotic. She's got a double ear infection. If you don't finish it, it will be back. And, and so, but what would happen if the doctor prescribed a medication for Frankie and, and, and she refused to take it or her parents refused to give it to her? Could she expect that infection to be healed? No. And we do the same. Our great physician has prescribed healing for captivity, for despair, for hopelessness, for broken heart, and yet we refuse to take the prescribed medication. So if we do, we should not be surprised when the symptoms flare up again. He says, here is the remedy for a spirit of heaviness, a garment of praise. I've spoken in the past couple weeks about giving place to the enemy. And we have to watch the areas that we give place to him. He is looking to penetrate, penetrate our mind, penetrate our thinking. He's looking for weaknesses and, and, and vulnerabilities. He's looking for an open door to overwhelm us. A spirit of heaviness. Let's look at that word heaviness. The word he uses for heaviness in this passage is, is very interesting. It, it's, the word, it's the Hebrew word which means to grow dim, dull, colorless, and faint. It comes from the root word to grow weak or to falter. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to grow weak in your faith. He wants you to falter in your faith. He, he wants you to, to just grow dim and dull spiritually. He wants you to become disillusioned and to lose hope. Some other translations for the spirit of heaviness is a disheartened spirit, a heavy, burdened, and failing spirit, the Amplified says. The, the net says a spirit of discouragement. The NIV says a spirit of despair. That word heaviness is often used elsewhere to speak of leprosy and, and the fading of its spots. And can I tell you that, that, that heaviness, a spirit of despair, a spirit of discouragement, it, it, it spreads like leprosy. It spreads like leprosy. If you don't deal with it quickly, it will spread throughout your life. But my favorite use of this word is in Isaiah 42.3. Flip over there with me. Isaiah 42.3. A familiar scripture to most of you, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. The, the word heaviness there is smoking. So our English word bruised, a bruised weed he will not break. Our, our English word bruised doesn't even touch the Hebrew definition for, for bruised. It doesn't even give it justice. So, so for example, if you bump your leg, a bruise, uh, it usually doesn't break the skin externally. I can tell you that what I know about Leslie is she is so sensitive that, that sometimes I'll grab her and I'll say, hey, just like that, that's all I do. And the next morning, she will have a bruise right where my, where my hands were. I don't even have to grip her heart. Now, now, I haven't broken her skin. I haven't done anything to her externally. But internally, it caused damage or injury, and it shows. That's the word bruised. It means to crush, to oppress, to crush into pieces, to grieve, to, to, to crack into pieces, to discourage, to break in or break down. Can I tell you that this is what the enemy of your soul comes to do? 
to oppress and discourage you, to get your courage, to break you down. But the Bible says a bruised reed, one the enemy has tried to crush and oppress, he will not break, God will not break. Isaiah isn't talking about something that you can necessarily see on the surface. The injury he's talking about here grows much deeper than that. Some of you have been bruised deeply internally. Oh, to look at you, you put on a good front, you do praise the Lord, hallelujah, bless you, sister, and you're, you just have the spiritual mask on that makes you look like you got it all together. But inwardly, you are bruised. You have been affected by some damage in your life. And can I tell you, that will bring a spirit of heaviness. That's what Isaiah 42 says. It will bring a spirit of heaviness. Webster says the, the, the word crush, it means to put a stop to something by the use of force. Oh. The enemy wants to put a stop to your peace. He wants to put a stop to your joy. He wants to put a stop to your testimony. There are some of you sitting here so bruised and so crushed, you literally don't feel like you can get your breath. A bruised reed, that word reed, <laughs> once a reed is bruised, it's discardable. It has no purpose, no value. It's good for nothing. Maybe that's how you feel tonight about yourself. But you've been so bruised, you've been so injured, bruised by life circumstances, so oppressed that, that you feel useless and like you don't have any value. Smoking flax, that word, smoking flax is heavy. That's that world word, heaviness. It's a picture of a lamp that's just about to go out. It's like snuffing a candle. That's what a spirit of heaviness does. It snuffs out your candle spiritually. It, 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 dis, it extinguishes your flame, your passion. And the protection against it, Isaiah says, is a garment of praise. It's a mantle. It's a covering of praise. That word is used in 1 Samuel 3, 2. If you want to turn there, the, the word for heaviness is once again used here for Eli's sight that's diminishing. And it's a picture of what, a, what the spirit of heaviness can do in our lives. Have you ever been so depressed, so full of despair, so discouraged, so weighed down by life that, that you're just it's like you're seeing in a fog? Nothing is clear anymore. Not, you don't see things clearly anymore. Everything is seen through that, that depression. Everything is seen through that despair. And you don't have a clear view anymore. The way out is to replace it with a garment of praise. We cannot be unaware. What we do instead is we ignorantly receive what the enemy wants to pile on us. Look at your, your diagram here. So he wants to load us down. He wants to pile us on. And all those things in the circles are the things that we just went through in Isaiah 3. The, their worthlessness, their insignificance, that's the ashes. There's sorrow, oppression, depression, that's the mourning. There's captivity. There, there's self-pity. There's discouragement. There's bondage. There's grief. There's brokenheartedness, anger hurt, pain, inner pain, lack, uh, being wrecked and crushed, painful loss. And he puts all of those things on us. I, I got a funnel here and, and he just wants to get in our mind and he wants to pile all of that stuff on us so that, that it weighs down like Mason's uh, waffle and it just puts pressure on our life and it squeezes out anything good and all you're left with is heaviness in your heart. The Bible says that heaviness of heart leads to what? Depression. Heaviness of heart leads to depression. Proverbs 12, 25. 
The Amplified says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. That's why several weeks ago we talked about don't let any, uh, you know, don't be anxious about anything. But with prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, what's praise? Thanksgiving is incorporated in that. Make your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind with peace that passes all understanding. So, so don't be anxious about anything because anxiety of heart weighs a man down. It's one of these circles in our diagram. It'll squeeze the life out of you. Spirit of heaviness, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. That word praise means praise demanded by qualities, deeds, or the attributes of God. Praise demanded by a qualities, attributes, or the deeds of God. Do you know that God is worthy of our praise? I, I just, I had to run up when John finished giving his testimony tonight because I'm just telling you, he's worthy of our praise. He deserved more than just a little hand clap because his attributes, his, we saw his character, we saw his faithfulness, we saw his goodness, we, we saw that he didn't treat us like our sins deserve. We saw his power and that should, should elicit praise in us. Do you know that everywhere the Israelites went that they saw God do something? When, when he lifted the Red Sea, what did, what did God say to do there? He said, build a, an altar, a memorial is the word. And that word memorial means to recall and act accordingly. It means, he, he said, you just saw me do something mighty. You just saw me do something powerful. You just saw my, my power on display. Now I want you to build an altar there. Because there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to forget my power. You're going to get that spirit of heaviness coming down upon you. And you're going to question my goodness. And I want you to, at that time, recall and act accordingly. I want you to revisit this place, this place of my faithfulness, and recall and act accordingly. You see, that's a garment of praise. A garment of praise is, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like all this stuff coming at me. I hate that I'm feeling this way, but I'm going to choose to praise. I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise. It's costly right now because I want to go to bed. I want to disappear. I want to get angry. I want to get this, this full of despair, but I'm going to choose. It's a choice. I've set before you life and death. Choose life. It's a choice. It's a choice. So many of us are choosing pity. You, you know, you want a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I'm going to exchange those. But some of you, garment of self-pity, garment of defeat, garment of victimization, and you're quite comfortable in that armor. God is saying, Here's some armor that works. I'm going to give you, look, Lynn, can you give me the, the quote about the spirit of heaviness? Can you take me back to Isaiah 61? Spirit of heaviness for a garment, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So I have to surrender it. So here's my spirit of heaviness, Lord. Okay, here's the garment of praise. Let's exchange it. It's exchange of life principle. You give me your pitiful life, I'll give you life abundant. It's exchange of life. I, I can give you 25 million scriptures that talk about exchange. You give me that, I'll give you this. It's exchange of life. But I have to surrender it, not pry it out of my hands, Lord. My son Tyler was visiting this week, and you've heard me 
talk about him, and um, he's the SWAT officer. So he's shown us all this fun stuff, you know, police chases in his car, which mom does not need to see that. Him ramming somebody with his car, and, and I'm just like, Tyler, can you just show that to Dave another time because I don't want to see it. And, and, and so then he's talking to me about his SWAT, you know, his SWAT team that he's on, and, and I'm saying, Bubby, tell me, tell me about that. And, and Dave and I love to watch cop shows, and, and so we know the SWAT thing, and I'm like, Ty, do they, all, do they really go in in the line, a straight line, and they, they follow each other and do this kind of stuff? And he said, yes, Mom. And, and, and Dave said, do you know, do they have the shield, the first guy that goes in, does he have a shield? And he says, no, that's fake. And, and, he, and I said, well... Now, he's a rookie. He's, I mean, he's new on the SWAT team, so I'm thinking he's the rookie on the SWAT team, even though he's a seasoned police officer, he's a rookie on the team. And, and I said, so where are you in the line, Ty? And he said, first. And I said, Ty, that is information mom does not need. And, and he said, Mom, it's the truth. That's where I go in. I'm, I'm first in. And you know what first in means when you're going to a building with bad guys in it, with weapons and, you know, that don't want to get caught. And my heart just sunk. And I was like, Lord, get him off that SWAT team. In the name of Jesus. And, um, and he said, but Mama, let me show you my uniform. And he brings up this picture of their uniforms. And you can barely see his eyes. That's just about all you can see. And helmet and... And Dave said, well, tell me about the body armor that you're wearing. And he said, you know, does a 9 millimeter go through that? And I said, no. He said, well, rifle does, doesn't it? He said, no. What else did you ask him? Um, he said, it won't penetrate it at all. <sighs> Mom was okay with the SWAT team after that because I was like, take your best shot, you know. <laughs> Not going anywhere. And this is God. I, I don't know a better example to give to you except that he brought my son to tell me that story this week just so I could tell you. He said, you can choose to wear, a, if Tyler went in on a SWAT car call without his armor, how stupid would that be? He would never dream of doing that. And yet you and I go through life every day without our armor. Bible talks in Ephesians about the armor of God, but today he's, he's giving us just one part of it. He's saying, I want to wrap you in a mantle of praise that will protect you from any spirit of heaviness coming at you. And yet we sit at the bottom of that funnel and just say, load it on, load it on, I'll take everything you have. And then we find ourselves miserable and in pain. When all along, we could refuse it. You see, we overcome by the word of our testimony, the blood of the lamb. Yes, but I'm telling you, our words have power. Agreement has power. How can two walk together unless they agree? And when that spirit of heaviness comes upon me, I have got to choose to, to confess God's word over my life instead of what I'm feeling. Instead of what I'm feeling. I typed to Leslie today. I said, you got to pray for me. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. And the Lord said to me, stop saying that. Start agreeing with me. Start agreeing with me. 
that I am more than a conqueror, that, that the Lord leads me in triumph in everything I do, that every place I set my foot, he has given to me, that, that I am surrounded with peace that passes all understanding, that I have joy that's unshakable, that, that, I, that, that love overcomes in my life, that, that, that I am set apart for his glory. Start agreeing with him. We can have a praise song in our heart because we trust the qualities, the deeds, and the attributes of God instead of a heavy, burdened, weak spirit. Pastor David uh, Abquaya says, the spirit of heaviness is an impressive, oppressive, demonic spirit that overshadows your life with dark forebodings, gloominess, dullness, vision blackout, quenching your fire, darkening your countenance, and extinguishing your hope. It is a weapon designed to squeeze out your joy, incapacitate your praise, and suffocate your peace under the heaviness of its presence. And we have to choose to not be unaware. Remember our definition of a demon. It's an idol with a demonic force, an evil influence operating behind it. And we cannot be unaware. We, we've told you that Christians cannot be demon-possessed, but they can certainly be attacked in their mind, their will, their emotions, and their body. They can be troubled, pressed, buffeted, harassed, depressed, upset, obsessed, oppressed, and in bondage and bruised. We need to mind our minds. If something is playing over and over and over in your mind and you're obsessing over it, it's a tool of the enemy. If something is weighing down on you and it's oppressing you, it's a tool of the enemy. If something is intrusive, it's a tool of the enemy. If something is eliciting fear, it's a tool of the enemy. We've got to not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. He will pile it on if we allow him. One commentator I read said, the spirit of heaviness starts its influence with a few lingering disappointments and pains. It pours those in until it begins to form like concrete around your heart and your mind. I love that. He pours until it forms like concrete around your heart and your mind. He just, that's the funnel. Remember, I did the funnel. He's going to keep pouring in until it forms like concrete around your heart and your mind, and it makes you hardened. Leslie and I pray constantly. Lord, are we hardened in any way? Have we hardened our heart against you, against your word in any way? We give you permission to soften us because those things that the enemy brings, the spirit of heaviness, pour in like concrete around our heart and our mind, and it hardens us. It hardens us. Uh, today, when I wrote that in my notes, I, I pulled up a, a video of a concrete mixer pouring its concrete into a mold. And I watched as that concrete poured in slowly, and it just began to fill and mold around all of the barriers um, that, was erect, that were erected for it until it hardened and took on the form that whoever dumped the cement wanted it to take. Can I tell you, the enemy has one form, and he wants to harden your heart against the things of God, and he will pour all of that stuff into your minds, into your spirits, and as long as you willingly receive it, you become a funnel for him to just keep pouring that concrete into heart and your heart and your mind. 
The antidote is praise. The antidote is praise. One scripture I really wanted to, to share with you. Please don't take me, don't, don't be offended by this. Just take it for what it is. Isaiah 6, or I'm sorry, Psalm 69, 20. This reference is the spirit of heaviness again. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. A spirit of heaviness thrives on pity from others. So when the enemy brings all of those things that contribute to a spirit of heaviness, so the brokenness, the, the captivity, the bondage, the, the, the crushing, the, the discouragement, somebody who has that spirit of heaviness now looks for pity from others. Let me tell you how bad my life has been. Let me tell you how, how awful things are. And we rehash and we rehearse it when God wants to heal it. We, we want to medicate what God wants to cast out. Do, do you see it? But because the church is not functioning even the way it should. See, even when I say we want to medicate what God wants to cast out, immediately the enemy says, Rhea, somebody's going to be offended by that. Because we're in such a politically correct world that I can't say anything that is biblically sound without offending somebody who's bought into the lies of the world. I'm sorry. But when I read my Bible, when the Lord saw a demonic oppressive spirit, he cast the thing out. How many churches are you going to that you have seen a demonic spirit cast out? Anybody recently? Leslie, did we? <laughs> Let us tell you a story. Um, there was a, I, well, I did a big conference in Houston. I think it was Houston or Austin, one of those two places. And um, the, the uh, director of women's ministry pulled me over right before, and she said, now I just want to tell you, there's a woman here. She comes every year. She bombards the speaker the second they get up to speak. She tells him about her life. She came from a history. Her, her father was a pastor, but he was involved in ritual abuse. He was involved in the satanic occult, and, and he used her uh, in that as, a, as a, some kind of, there was connection there. And, and she said she's really sad, she's depressed, she's threatened suicide, tried to commit suicide, and she always overwhelms the speaker. And I'm like, hey, that's okay with me. We're, we're fine with that. She's like, no, no, you don't understand. She's been prayed for for years and years and years, nothing doesn't ever change. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. And, and so sure enough, after the first session, she came up to us, and she's precious, just precious, but broken. And you could see in her countenance, am I exaggerating? You could see the darkness in her countenance, and she told us horrific stories that no one should hear. You should just say, stop, I don't need to hear anymore. Um, and so we began to pray for her. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, this, you're able to. This is nothing for you. You, you got this. And But the whisper was, hey, everybody else prayed for her. It didn't make any difference. And probably in her mind, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to believe that, and she began to manifest, and we, we just continued to pray for her, and um, we thanked the Lord for what he had done, and, and, and we went, we finished praying with other people, we went back to the room, and that night, was it that night or the next morning? 
early the next morning, Leslie got up to get me a coffee and she was in the hallway and she happened to run into this woman. And she said, Ria, I almost didn't recognize her because her countenance had changed so much. She was up in the middle of the night in the prayer room, vomiting, whole nine yards. Um, if I'm, yeah, she just laid by the foot of the cross. If I'm lying, I'm dying. No exaggeration. We got Christmas cards from her like every year. And the picture, she would send a picture of herself every time. It, amazing isn't even the word. Like complete difference in, 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 in her. She never went up to a speaker again after that. She continued to go to that conference, a changed woman. I'm telling you, God's word works. But this should be our norm, not the exception. This should be, I mean, when I preach, people should be manifesting. That's just the reality because they should be so threatened by the Christ in me that, that they, they, sh they wouldn't be able to keep it under wraps. Why is that not happening? And I'm talking about myself here, not just other pastors. I'm saying this should be our norm. It should be our norm. Because God does not change. And, you know, I can take you scripture after scripture after scripture where he tells us that, that we should, that, that we've been called to do those things. Quickly, I want to finish. The, the, the word praise there, there's like seven words for praise. The one he uses here is to sing spontaneously an unrehearsed song from your spirit. I want to take you to all these scriptures where, you know, Saul had somebody come. He was being tormented and harassed by a spirit of heaviness, had somebody come and play for him. It, it came off of him. I, I could take you to scripture after scripture where that happened, but there in my notes, you can see him if you'd like. But I just want to park here with this spontaneous song for a second. Over and over, we're, we're told in scripture, put off this, put on this, put off this, put on this, put off the old man, put on the new man. It's a picture of taking off soiled clothing and putting on clean clothing. My granddaughter was here this week, and I can't even tell you how many times she soiled her clothing or spit up on her clothing, and her mom would have to change her soiled clothing and put clean clothing on. Every time she did that, I thought about this passage and how the spirit of heaviness comes and tries to soil us, and we need to choose to get that off of us and put on a garment of praise, wrap ourselves in a garment of praise. And that garment of praise is spontaneous singing. It's a spontaneous, with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, to let them come up in you. John uh, talked about uh, um, praying in the spirit and, and speaking in tongues. And, and if you don't have that gift, ask God for it. I'm just telling you, because I, I believe, Dave and I both believe, that there's a gift of tongue that, it, that needs interpret, interpreted, but there's also, I believe, a prayer language that, that God has given, that, that when the Bible talks about how I, all the gifts of the Spirit are given for the building up of the body except one. The, 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 when I pray in the Spirit, my spirit man gets strengthened. I get strengthened by praying in the Spirit. And so the spiritual songs, I believe, is a... Is a, is a um, is a spontaneous song that your spirit man just begins to sing. Uh, and, and so we're going to have Megan come and, and play, and she's going to sing some songs. I picked these songs specifically. She learned them for you to sing over you. But if you're here uh, tonight and you struggle with depression, 
if you struggle with sadness, if you struggle with despair, if you struggle with hopelessness, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I, I'm just trying to get you to identify that, that maybe it is a chemical imbalance and maybe you do need to be treated. Hear me say, do not go off your medication. If you're under the doctor's care, stay on the medication. God can get you. Leslie was, was on medication. She began to get a hold of this stuff and the Lord took her on her medication to a place where the doctor said, you don't need this anymore. Anymore. That's what he can do for you. Don't take yourself off of it. Let the doctor take you off of it. But he can do that. And so I am not saying that, that, that there isn't a place for medication. Do not quote me on that. But I am telling you to not be unaware. Because I believe that God can heal you. I believe that the enemy brings those things to discourage you and to keep you down. Just two more scriptures before we close. A cheerful heart puts a smile on your face. But a broken heart leads to depression. Everything seems to go wrong when you feel weak and depressed. But when you choose to be cheerful, every day will bring you more and more joy and fullness. Everything seems to go wrong when you feel weak and depressed. I feel weak and depressed. I am going to call it that. But when we choose, this is God's word. To be cheerful every day will bring you more and more joy of fullness. It's a choice. Remember, I talked to you about the confession of your mouth. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, but the confession of our mouth is so important. I know people who say, I just wish I was dead, or you're a pain in my neck, or what's the other ones? Uh, you make me sick, or uh, I'm so tired I could die. Those are all confessions of your mouth. And words have power. We speak words, we confess words into a spirit realm, not just a natural realm for people to hear, but a spirit realm for the enemy to hear. Do, do you understand that? And you come into agreement with him, how can two walk together unless they agree? And when you say, I wish I was dead, well, hmm. doors wide open for a spirit of death in your life. And if you have said that, you break agreement with those words and you come into agreement with God. You repent and renounce those words and, and come and, renounce, and, and speak some truth over your life. We've got to watch what's coming out of our mouth. So, so one more, I just want to read that scripture to you again. Uh, Proverbs 15, 15. Everything seems to go wrong when you feel weak and depressed, but when you choose to be cheerful, every day will bring you more and more joy and 